So we are working our way through the book of Revelation, and last week we were able to commence and conclude Revelation chapter 17, but I'm not quite through with Revelation 17. So for today, before we get back, or before we return to 17 to drill a little deeper, I just want to do a quick recap, if I may, and just for the record, this will be week number 31, broadcast number 31, study number 31. Please turn to your Bibles, or please turn in your Bibles, to Revelation chapter 1. And from Revelation chapter 1, cast your eye over verse 1, please. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Two things. Number one, John is spoken of as being a servant. You start as a servant, and you become a friend. Then you become a co-heir. The King James never once calls you a slave. The New Bibles will call you a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, which of course feeds into the erroneous teaching of Lordship Salvation. But the King James quite rightly calls you a servant. And from Revelation 1.1, it starts off as servants plural, and then goes into servant singular. And of course there is a distinction to be made between a servant and a slave. Go to Revelation 22. And I want to do this every so often when it comes to having a recap because we cover so much material every Sunday and these services are broadcast live through the internet and therefore I get one chance to get it right. And if I make a mistake or if I leave something out, it's too late and therefore it's worth me going over the same old ground the following week to either correct myself or add more material Revelation 22, Revelation 22, look at verse 3, please. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Again, you start as a servant, you become a friend, and eventually a co-heir. But here, the context is very much into eternity. And John is still speaking about us as servants of the Lord. Not slaves, Going back to Lordship Salvation, but servants. Go back to Revelation chapter 1, please. Revelation chapter 1. Look, if you will, at verse 3, please. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. You are blessed for hearing, and you are blessed for reading. If you can't read, you can hear. And if you can't hear, you can read. Either way, there's no excuse not to take the time to read the scriptures, or if you can't read the scriptures, maybe you are uh, suffering poor sight, then there's always audio studies which you can get your hands on. But either way, you are blessed if you read or if you study. And as far as I know, this is the only book in the entire Bible where a blessing is promised to anyone, anywhere, at any time. That takes a time to read this incredible book. Jump over to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, and take a look, if you will, please, at verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. This term, synagogue of Satan is in reference to a wicked works-based system of salvation. People that completely obliterate grace 
and put works into the equation. Go to Philippians chapter 3. A lot of scriptures to try and look at this morning because I want to really build up to the final crescendo, which we'll get to today and next Sunday, which looks at the complete destruction of Babylon the Great. And it's worth taking some time this morning to lay the foundation as to why the Lord is angry with such a system and why he will destroy such a system. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, take a look please at verse 2. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We have no confidence in the flesh. We have no interest in the flesh. We have no interest in doing any kind of works-based system. Verse 2, beware of dogs. Now, historically, that would be in reference to Gentiles. Gentiles, historically, were unclean animals in the eyes of the Jews. But here, the Apostle Paul, as a Jewish apostle, a saved Jew, is writing to the Gentiles. And here, the switch has very subtly taken place. Now, the Jews are referred to as dogs. Evil workers, beware of them, mark them out because they teach another gospel and they will clash with you every so often. In fact, this past week, we have just returned from Oxford and it's fair to say that Oxford was our greatest UK outreach to date. We distributed around 4,000 plus tracks. Our banner was seen by probably 30 plus thousand people. We spoke to dozens of people, did a bit of street preaching and we believe it's the best yet And yet we had a Jewish chap come over to us maybe two or three days before we ended our spring outreach. And he clashed. He clashed with me. He clashed with our presence. He was very arrogant, very full of himself, somewhat immature as well. And it's always difficult when you speak to a Jew because we love the Jews. We are pro-Israel. And yet at the same time, the Apostle Paul tells us over in the book of Romans how they are enemies for the sake of the gospel, and they very much are. But, 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 they are beloved for their father's sakes. So here, you are warned against such people who are not of the Lord, have forsaken any blessing, and yet they are still beloved nevertheless. And like I've been saying for many years now, once the rapture takes place, Revelation 4, verses 1, 2, and 3, the Lord switches back to the Jews. Turn to Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, and I want to continue, if I may, to spend as much time as is needed today to make it as clear as I can as to why the Lord is angry, not only with the wicked every day, not only how he hates all workers of iniquity, but how he is very angry with religious people, people that have the wrong type of religion. Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 9, please. Behold, I make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Now, historically, this is in reference to Judaizers, those Jewish people from the first century that would clash with the apostles, that would blaspheme the apostles. Saul of Tarsus was a real zealot. He would detain people, he would torture people, and he would put people to death. On top of that, he would make people blaspheme Jehovah. Historically, we can take this verse and apply it to not only replacement theology, but also those that believe that the church has permanently replaced Israel, like the Catholic Church, like the Church of England. And I met some Anglicans over the past week 
that were very proud to be Anglican, and I met a group of gentlemen that are primitive Methodists, Calvinists, they told me, and were very proud to be keeping the 39 Articles of Faith, which, of course, is a throwback to the Church of England, because John Wesley was an Anglican, and when Wesley got saved, he took the 39 Articles of Faith and the Common Book of Prayer and incorporated it into the Methodist Church. But here, this condemnation from 3.9 concerns a synagogue of Satan. And unfortunately, over the years, people have come along and taken such a verse, like Luther, even Hitler, and the Catholic Church, and have used such a verse to bash the Jews. They, of course, are ignorant of Scripture. They are ignorant of the Saviour. Israel has a permanent place in the heart of the Lord. The book of Jeremiah speaks about such. But one more time, for now, for the church age, the Jews are not only outside of the covenant of grace, outside of the body of Christ, but they are very much at enmity with the church. And that's why we need to box clever when we speak to such people. One more time from 3.9, and I'll move on. Behold, I'll make them of the synagogue of Satan, Judaizers, first century, and throughout the church history, it'll be Catholics, Anglicans leading up to Babylon the Great, which say they are Jews, we have replaced Israel, so on and so forth, and are not. But do lie, behold, I'll make them to come and worship before thy feet, body of Christ, and to know that I have loved thee. So keep that in mind, please, because what we don't want to do is, on the one hand, suck up to false religions, to become friends with false religions, and go on to lose our rewards. Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, cast your eye over verse 20, please. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. That woman Jezebel, no doubt a first century false prophet, a false teacher, a false woman of some kind, and yet behind her, the spirit behind her is going to be Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. And here this woman, this system, this female church has been earmarked out for destruction, for damnation. On top of that, she is seducing the Lord's servants. First century Christians, no doubt, historically concerning those in the Church of Rome or the Church of England. And yes, people do get saved, not because of such systems, but in spite of such systems, and many times people stay in such systems. And yet you were told, and we'll look at it next week, from chapter 18, verse 4, to come out of such a system. If it wasn't bad enough that they are caught up in this system, they are also eating things sacrificed unto idols. Could be in reference to the Mass, could be in reference to praying to saints, praying to so-called holy people, praying to dead popes, so on and so forth, which, of course, is an abomination to the Lord. Look at 21, please. And I gave a space to repent of a fornication, and she repented not. Concerning Jezebel, this false prophetess, this wicked woman, she's past the point of being redeemed. She's earmarked out, like I say, for destruction. 22, behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. They being her children, if they don't repent of their deeds, off they go into the tribulation, where they will take the mark of the beast and go on to be damned forever. 23, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, 
and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. A devastating piece of scripture. And yet most churches won't even touch this. Most churches are terrified of reading the book of Revelation. In fact, those that read Revelation, turn to Jude, please. Spiritualize it. Those that read Revelation like to pick and choose which parts they like. Jude, look at verse 11, please. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gain saying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feed themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Does that sound like you? If it is, there's no way back for you. But if you're saved, praise God that you are saved. This piece of scripture, I think, is written from the foreknowledge of the Lord, looking very much into eternity, very much aware of the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats. And as such, it's devastating. Revelation, uh, go to Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 2. Take a look, please, at verse 26. And he that overcometh, and keep my works unto the end. To him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter, shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. What a great scripture. But look at it a bit more carefully. 26. And he that overcometh, he that gets saved, he that is born again, he that appropriates the atonement, turn or burn, and keepeth my works unto the end. Picture works after you are saved. To him will I give power over the nations. Thousand year reign. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. A severe strict task master. As the vessels of a potter. Shall they be broken to shivers. Even as I received of my father. Go to Galatians chapter 2 please. Galatians chapter 2. And cast your eye over verse. Uh, 20 Galatians chapter 2 Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so Christ lives in you hence how you are able to keep his works unto the end everything you do you do because he lives in you he drives you forward he also restrains you from doing what you should not do go to revelation chapter 3 please revelation chapter 3 it was a great blessing for me yesterday to sit down and read revelation in one sitting in preparation for this morning's service and from revelation uh, chapter 3 revelation chapter 3 look at verse 12 please him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I write upon him my new name. Service, of course. He that overcometh, twelve, he that gets saved, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Millennial kingdom, of course. And he should go, no more out. You're in Christ, and Christ is in you. And I will write upon him the name of my God, picture of ownership, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I write upon him my 
new name. Remarkable. Once you are saved, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. If that wasn't uh, good enough, go to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Look at verse 9, please. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, and tongue, and people, and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth, we being the church, we being Israel. And sometimes people fail to understand this. Sometimes people think that only Israel will reign on the earth. No, the church, the body of Christ, and redeemed Israel are going to rule and reign on the earth for 1,000 years. Of course, what you do on the earth concerning your service, concerning your uh, status, privileges, so on and so forth, depends on how you lived after you got saved. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 5, please. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out to the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. You get saved, you're kept saved. And 3, 5 is speaking, first of all, about imputation. Christ's righteousness at God's expense, which is what I believe grace really stands for. And on top of that, service for the millennium. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Like I say, a lot of scriptures to look at this morning. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse 5, please. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, and him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests under God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You are a king. You are a priest. But, listen to me, you can lose rewards. And the worst case scenario, found from Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is that you can go on to lose your millennial inheritance. It's very important that we remember this. If you live after the flesh, if you don't repent, not only are you going to experience the sin unto death, but on top of that, there is every possibility that you can lose your millennial inheritance. Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, cast your eye over verse 10, please. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. If you're born again, you will not go through the tribulation. If you are born again, and if the rapture was to take place like right now, off we go. We are spared the tribulation, because we are saved. The tribulation is Daniel's 70th week, Jacob's trouble. The tribulation has nothing to do directly, explicitly with the church. Those that get saved in the tribulation are technically not the body of Christ because the body of Christ, Revelation chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16, and 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 51 onwards is a picture of the rapture, the church being removed of the face of the earth revelation chapter 7 revelation chapter 7 and look please at verse 9 after this i beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying salvation to our god which sitteth upon a throne and unto the lamb salvation 
is credited, salvation comes from the Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So salvation is from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord, dispensed via the Messiah, and then vicariously to the apostles and others. And that's why we, at this ministry, can go onto the streets. We can speak to people. We can tell people that they must be born again. And if they get born again, we can tell them that they are saved. We have the ability, the authority to do so from Scripture. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And take a look, please, at verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. Satan, of course, and the term, the description, is found in heaven. Also feeding into verses 1 and 2, picturing Israel about to give birth to the Messiah. But here, this great red dragon, Satan, of course, is spoken of as having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. Keep that in mind, if you will, please. Jump to chapter 13. Chapter 13. Look at verse 1, please. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So Antichrist has seven heads, a match with Satan. He has ten horns, a match with Satan. But he has ten crowns, unlike Satan who has seven crowns. And as I stand here this morning, I can't think of anyone anywhere at any time that has satisfactorily explained the discrepancy between these crowns. And perhaps when the tribulation has been and gone, and the two witnesses have reappeared on the earth, could be Moses, could be Elijah, in conjunction with the 144,000 Jewish male virgin evangelists, perhaps then will we know why there is a discrepancy Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14, look at verse 8, please. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of a fornication. Not just physical wine, but spiritual wine as well. And I've spoken about this over the last 31 weeks. When VIPs go to Rome, they are very much in awe of going to Rome. When VIPs go to the palace, they are very much in awe of going to the palace. And I've seen on the news several American presidents over the years that have gone to the palace to meet the Queen. And they are very much in awe of Her Majesty. And I think it was uh, either Mr. Bush or Mr. Obama who almost genuflected when he met Her Majesty some years ago because he was very much in awe of meeting over here. 14.8. Babylon, Rome, is guilty of seducing all nations for nearly 2,000 years. Go back to Revelation chapter 2. Not quite through yet. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Cast your eye over verse 20 again please. Notwithstanding. I have a few things against thee. Condemnation. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. If you are saved you should know better. If you are saved you are told to study. To show yourself approved unto God. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You are told to prove all things. Hold fast to that which is true. You are commended to be a faithful burying. However, I have a few things against thee. Why? Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, this false church system, which calleth herself a prophetess. She's going to claim some kind of authority, like Holy Mother Church, like the succession of the apostles, so on and so forth, to teach and to seduce my servants, 
not the devil's servants, God's servants, to commit fornication, spiritual fornication, and perhaps physical fornication as well, if you think of all the pedophilia that goes on in the Catholic Church, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave a space to repent of a fornication, and she repented not. When the Reformation took place, people like Calvin and Luther and Zwingli spoke to Catholic friends, their counterparts, if you will, and they wrote a lot of material, not only against the papacy, but in defense of the scripture. And they tried to explain the truths of the Reformation, how we are saved by faith in Christ alone, and how the scripture is the final authority. And Rome didn't receive it, she rejected it. On top of that, she launched the Council of Trent, and she put a group of bloodthirsty killers together, referred to as the Jesuits. Before them, you had the Dominicans and other groups that took it upon themselves to put people to death. You see, Rome doesn't want to be changed. She doesn't want to be reformed. She's quite happy. She's quite content doing her own thing. And that's why here she's spoken of as being destroyed. And yet 22, behold, are cast into a bed. A pretty crude description. And them that commit adultery with her. Adultery fornication. Because they are the Lord's people. But they are remaining with her. They are walking a fine line. In fact, this is a good picture of treachery. Uh, betraying the Lord, so and so forth. I will cast her into a bed, this false church, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of the deeds. He got two things. He got a warning on the one hand and the ability to come out from such a system. It's not too late. And therefore, if you are a Catholic and you're listening to this broadcast live this morning or you hear this on the radio or you, or you watch this video online, and you are a Catholic, and you say you've trusted Christ to save you, get out of that system. That system is going to be destroyed. Christ would say, if you love me, keep my commandments. 23, and I'll move on. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. Picture of Christ's omniscient attribute. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. You're going to get what you deserve. Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. Uh, and if you will, take a look at verse uh, 19, Revelation sixteen nineteen, And the great city was divided into three parts, Jerusalem, of course, and the cities of the nations fell all over the globe. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God. Rome, of course. Now, in John's mind, he's probably got pagan Rome, very much at the forefront of his mind, and yet at the same time he has been shown paper Rome to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Every time a Catholic priest holds the Eucharist up, the Catholic laity and clergy go down on their knees because they believe that the Eucharist, which contains blood, initially it's wine, but it becomes blood, is then fit for consumption. And they drink the wine, which, if it was blood, would make them guilty of being cannibals. And when the priest holds up the wafer, they believe it becomes the body of Christ. And when they eat it, they do believe, literally, that they are eating Christ's body. And here, 16 and 19, this great Babylon, great in a sense of wickedness, uh, wickedness, not in a sense of goodness, has come into the Lord's mind. It's time to deal with her. He's waited for Decades, centuries, and now he's going to severely deal with this picture of wickedness. 
16.10 And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven, because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. The seat of the beast, the seat of the beast, picturing authority, the seat of Peter. The seat of the beast will be probably in Rome during the tribulation, and the seat of the beast, the authority of the Antichrist, his power base will be attacked by God, and as a result, his kingdom will suffer terribly. The people always suffer terribly. And that's why that old expression comes to mind. You get the governments that you deserve. Look at 1621, please. 1621. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. You're going to have massive hailstones falling out, of heaven falling out of the clouds, being sent from heaven, very much like Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're going to destroy people. They're going to be destroyed, they're going to be punished for their wickedness, and yet men never learn from history. Like that old expression goes, uh, people don't learn from their mistakes. And this is true, even say people don't always learn by their mistakes. So there is a quick recap and I say quick it's taken over 30 minutes but now we get to Revelation chapter 17 Revelation chapter 17 and you've had a lot of material to lay the foundation for why the Lord is angry with this system Revelation 17 look at verse 3 please so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns this woman this false church, very much a throwback to chapter 2 concerning Jezebel, has seven heads and ten horns, but no crowns. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. John speaking, of course. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast. I saw a church sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, a bright red beast, like a great red dragon like antichrist of course full of names of blasphemy not just one name but many names having seven heads and ten horns and that will be further explained shortly look at verse five please and upon her forehead was a name written mystery babylon the great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth this woman has her own mark of the beast did you notice that but it is invisible to the human eye and upon her forehead, mark of the beast, was a name written, mystery, previously unrevealed. Not yet ready to be declared to the Lord's people. It would fall to the Apostle John right at the end of the first century. Babylon the Great, Babel the Great, meaning confusion. The mother of harlots, holy mother church, and abominations of the earth. Every wicked system in the world seems to be laid at the foot at the foot of this false system and this false system is going to be destroyed look at verse 6 please and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus and when I saw her I wandered with great admiration you think of Ridley you think of Latimer you think of Cramner and like I say we just spent a week in Oxford 
a great week of outreach work. We distributed around 4,000 tracks, maybe some more, maybe some less. Of course, it doesn't come down to quantity, it comes down to quality. On top of that, we estimate that our banner was seen by 30 plus thousand people. During our time in Oxford, we were able to visit the spot where Ridley, Latimer and Cramner were murdered by the Catholic Church. Murdered for their faith in Jesus, their faith in the scripture and their belief, their correct belief that we are saved by our faith in Christ alone. Yes, those men were Calvinists. Let me say this as a quick footnote, if I may. Yes, they were reformed, but they took a stand. You see, when you got saved, I'll get back to this quickly. When you got saved, you weren't saved as a Calvinist. When you got saved, you weren't saved as an Arminian. When you got saved, you weren't saved as a pre-tribulational Bible-believing Christian. When you got saved, you weren't saved straight away, automatically, as a pre-millennial, once saved, always saved Christian. When you got saved, you got saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Afterwards, you may have gone into different directions. You may have got involved with the holiness movement, like Wesley. Or you may become, like, say, Jonathan Edwards, a Calvinist. And therefore, such beliefs, such systems, which I have problems with, will be dealt with at the judgment seat of the Lord. But your salvation was dependent on what Christ did for you. So we are not inconsistent in any way as Bible-believing Christians, standing very much against Calvinism, when we decided to visit such a spot where these three very brave men were publicly martyred. And I have no problem whatsoever in taking the time to visit that spot to put a video together because what those men went through is a great example to people like us living today. They risked their lives. They could have gone back on their words. In fact, even people like John Bunyan, another Calvinist, took a stand and he would preach the gospel in a place called Bedford in England. And he was told by the bishop in the Church of England, and such people are very reminiscent of the Pharisees during the first century, that he couldn't preach on the streets without a license. And he couldn't get a license because the bishop wouldn't give him a license. So Bunyan preached nevertheless, which goes back to that scripture from Acts chapter 5, when the apostles would say to the religious leaders how they thought it more fit, more right, to honor the Lord, to obey the Lord, rather than men. So 17.6, Ridley, Latimer, Cranmer, and other many men and women over the years that were put to death by the Catholic Church, and one figure which always comes to my mind when I discuss subjects such as this is around 50 million people. And yet, as a student of history, I've never heard anyone ever speak about such a figure. When I went to school, I was taught World War II. I was taught uh, events from occupied uh, Europe. And you hear about that. You rarely hear about the gulags, which took place in Russia. And you never hear about the 50 million people that were murdered by the catholic church and that's why she has been earmarked out for destruction revelation 17 revelation 17 uh, look at verse 9 please and here is a mind which hath wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth rome of course and she dominates the world like i said last sunday it may be that some churches where you live are down in numbers and that's a good thing of course but don't allow that to deceive you because the Catholic Church still owns a lot of land, a lot of property. When a VIP visits the Vatican, he or she, whether from the political world or the world of entertainment, takes money with them, a donation. And the Pope of the day is very much happy to receive such a person. But that money isn't really needed because the Catholic Church owns a lot of land. They own most of Israel. 
most of Capernaum, most of Nazareth, and maybe parts of Jerusalem as well, hence why they are very keen for this current American president to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Take the time, please, and look a little deeper at what goes on in the news every day of the week. Revelation 17, Revelation 17, look at verse 10, please. And there are seven kings, five are fallen and one is, and the other's not yet come, and when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So when John wrote this around 96 AD, there was a guy called Domitian in power, and the Caesars were very powerful men, these Roman emperors. They were kings, priests, and gods, all rolled into one. And I think what is being spoken about here will be the following. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, probably Alexander the Great, Cyrus, Darius, Nebuchadnezzar, and a few others. And one is Caesar, of course, and the other is not yet come, Antichrist. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Now, at most, he will rule for seven years, but more likely three and a half years. It would suggest to me that once a church has been raptured, For the first three and a half years, you've got a phony peace. Things aren't too bad. But when the Antichrist arrives on the scene and Satan enters into him, like John 13, like uh, Luke 22, he then becomes the Antichrist. That's an interesting hypothesis, which was put out by Clarence Larkin many years ago. And I think there's some legitimacy in that. Then he signs his concordat with the Jews. Then he breaks the concordat. Then he goes into the third temple. Second Thessalonians, and he says that he is God. And some abomination of desolation takes place, Matthew 24. And according to some commentaries, which I've read over the years, human sacrifices start to take place. Now, I'm not sure about that. I have heard this from some dispensationalists, and it could be so. I'm not overly sure. But if that does happen, then you really are going down a dark path. In fact, I'll say this very quickly. I watched a documentary not long ago concerning this woman that had been born in Cuba, And she married an American. They lived in Hawaii for some years. The marriage went south. And she decided to not only kill him, not only to chop up his body, but to cook his body and eat his body. That's demon possession. And I think that's more common than we perhaps like to think. But I don't know what happens in the tribulation. I'm not going to say for sure whether or not some kind of human sacrifice takes place. I don't know. It's possible. Look at verse 12, please, from... Revelation 17. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Ten horns, ten kings, ten being the number of the Gentiles. At present, we haven't got a block of ten dominating the world. Like I said last week, at present, we've got maybe five, the permanent members of the UN Security Council. We have the G7 minus Russia. We have the G20 We haven't got ten as such. But during the tribulation, ten horns being ten kings, ten leaders, are going to do a deal with the Antichrist. And for one hour, could be the last three and a half years of the tribulation, they will receive global authority. This is what it's all about. It's power. And that's what this is all about. Thirteen. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. They will voluntarily surrender their power and strength to the Antichrist. To the beast. Verse 16, please. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn with fire. So you've got the Antichrist and the kings of the earth turning 
to devour the woman, this false church, because they've got what they want from her. She's pictured as, as a prostitute. And once you get what you want from such a person, according to this piece of scripture, you discard such a person. 17. For God had put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give the kingdom unto the beast and to the words of God shall be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. There's no way this can be reversed or overthrown. 18. And I will close. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Go back to the first century. Caesar, Domitian, Julius Caesar, uh, Augustus. There were many emperors, many uh, Caesars. They were very powerful people. They died out and they were placed with paper Rome. And those popes replaced the emperors and the college of cardinals replaced the Roman senate. And the people of Rome replaced the Catholic laity. And that's why if you are born again, you have no business being caught up in such a system. So this whore, which long ago sold out Jesus and the Bible for power, wealth and fame, is now going to be destroyed. And off she goes into the lake of fire where she burns with the Antichrist, the false prophet and the beast. Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. And that's why it's imperative to get saved. And if you are in such a system, to get out of such a system because time is very much of the essence. And I'll close it there. And next week, pick it up, Lord Wedding, from Revelation chapter 18.